Okay, good morning everyone. I thank our Amuna Shir sponsors for this week, Devor and Avi Orlan, in memory of their beloved daughter, Miriam Esther Bas Avram Yitzchak, whose neshama should continue to have an aliyah. And again, I want to thank you for considering joining the Friend of BRS category. It uh, means a lot, and I think it's the right thing to do, as I said. Um, next week, maybe we'll move into the Sephardic Shul in order to have enough room. Maybe we'll still be in here. Depends how many of you are coming. So we'll uh, stay tuned. Okay. We are still learning this piece by Revolbe. We're on Ali Shor Chelek Beis, Marach Ashlishes, Sha'aravi, page Tuf Kuf Tzadi Tess. And we last left off last week where Revolbe was contrasting the two different perspectives on Amun and Bitachon. He was contrasting the Amun Bitachon attitude of the Chobos Avavos, Rabbein Abachi Ibn Pekuda, and that with the Ramban. Rabbein Abachi says, again just to review, that Hishtablis, making an effort, taking initiative, is part of how we express Amuna. Amuna happens in the world of thought, and Amuna happens in the world of uh, prayer, and Amuna also happens in the world of action. So we show Hashem we believe in Him when we talk to Him, when we lean on Him, when we feel His presence in our life. But we also show Hashem we believe in Him when we give Him a clay kibo. We have to give Him a means through which He can work His magic. If we don't take initiative and we don't do something so that He can work His magic through the effort that we're doing, He's not going to do a miracle. To rely on miracles is to have a sense of arrogance or hubris. We are not on the level that we are worthy or deserving of miracles. And we shouldn't assume or wait for a miracle to happen. So if we want Hashem to intervene on our behalf, we have to give Him the means and the mechanism to do so. So when we do Ishtadas, when we do the effort, Hashem can make magic happen. If I buy the lottery ticket, He can make me a winner. But, as the famous saying goes, or at least went when I was a kid, you got to be in it to win it. So you say, why do I have to be in it to win it? I have such emunah and bitachon, I can win it without being in it. So Elamai, that's not emunah and bitachon, that's moronic, that's foolish. You can't win it if you're not in it. That's not Amuna and Bitachon. So that's Rabbi Nebachah. Rabbi Nebachah's attitude is you don't have to be in it to win it. I'm sorry, you have to be in it to win it. And therefore we take initiative as a form of Amuna. Whereas the Ramban we saw has a very radical approach. The Ramban's radical approach is that if a person is sick, if one is on that level, you don't really have to go to the doctor. One can sit on their couch at home. To us that sounds like Scientology. To us that sounds like Christian science. That doesn't sound like our perspective. So uh, Revolba, if you remember last week, quoted several statements of the Ramban where he seems to contradict himself, where he talks about the importance and need for initiative. So how do you reconcile that contradiction in the Ramban? Does the Ramban believe in radical amuna, or does he believe in initiative? And, and Revolba explained the answer is yes, he believes in both. When a person is on that level and on that plane, which is so high and maybe even inaccessible to us, if a person is so tied into and living with Hashem in every moment and every day and every breath, Shivisi Hashem Lanegdi Summit, Hashem is before them, Hashem is their companion, Hashem is with them. Everything they do, they're thinking about Hashem everywhere they go, every moment. So then that person could live on that level. But for the average person, for the regular person, we need initiative. Okay, so that's where we're up to the bottom paragraph, page Tuf Kuf Tzadi Tess. Everyone see where we are? Even if you don't, I'm going by this. Hinner Lamdu Mizeh. We learn from this, that even though we set it up as a paradigm that there's a contrast, even though we set it up that there's two separate and seeming contradicting opinions, Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says, you got to take initiative. You got to go to work. You got to go to the doctor. You got to network. You got to, we have to 
taken the shrif, and it looked like the Ramban didn't. Even the Ramban agrees. Ela shebimakom haftacha yesh laadam lismach bebitchono al Hashem beliyishtadus. So when is it that you don't need hashtadus for the Ramban? When is it you don't need effort or initiative? The only time you don't need effort or initiative is when there's a promise from Hashem. So if you look in Tanakh and you look at the figures in Tanakh, or the people who are so righteous that they feel that they've received a promise from Hashem about a certain outcome, those people benefiting from that promise don't need it. The Chiddush of the Rabbeinu Bachya, his contribution to the conversation is that a person has to make an effort. All this began, if you remember, because Ravoba set up the question of why when we were expelled from Gan Eden, why is the need to now the sweat of your brow and go to work and make an effort and now the, the fact that on the one hand making an effort gives gratification, but on the other hand it runs the risk of thinking that we are the arbiters, we're in charge. On the other hand, sitting back and having amuna is a beautiful display of faith in Hashem, but it takes away the initiative and the effort in cultivating and refining the best version of ourselves. So why did Hashem kick us out and give us this notion of finding that balance? Because that's our mission in life. It's not that it's a concession that I have to take initiative. It's, that's the paradigm. It's the way Hashem set up the world. So it's not I wish I could just sit back and I'd win the lottery without buying a ticket. Why can't I win it without being in it? I wish I just got a salary without having to work. I wish I just got better without taking medicine or going to the doctor. I wish I just lost weight without dieting. I wish I just improved my health without exercising. Why can't I get the result without the effort? It's not a concession we have to do the effort. Really, ideally, we wouldn't have to do the effort. But it's a concession we have to do the effort. It's not a concession. It's the paradigm. It's the way Hashem designed the world is that we get the benefit of both. And we live with the tension inherent within trying to balance both. So the fact that every single day we are struggling with balancing both is the purpose, is the mission. The borer, the, the sense of selection that we're doing, the sorting that we're doing in our lives and trying to identify which moment calls for faith and which moment calls for initiative. Which moment do I sit back and let go and let God as the saying goes in the, in the program, and in which moment do I say, let go and let God, what God wants me to do right now is give it my all, to kill it, to take initiative. So that balance, that tension, that, that challenge of finding that, that is not a concession to life, that is our mission in life. Are there any more chairs? No? Okay, someone could grab in the, thank you, in the Svartic. So that's not a concession that is our very purpose. It's our very mission in life. I told you the story last week. I'm standing at the counter in the airport or two weeks ago. So when do you try to say, I'm going to be such a chacham, I'm going to switch flights and figure it all out and get back even earlier? And when do you say, it's odd and peculiar, I'm on this flight, but it's for a reason. And it turns out it was for a reason because it got in five hours earlier than the flight that the chacham switched himself to. So that... And that, that's, a, that's an example, but we all go through that every single day. Right. And we go through that multiple times in every day. Arguably, we go through that every hour, once an hour in each day. When do I take the initiative? When am I trying to say it's up to me? And when do I let go and let God? And when do I sit back and say, you know what? Ribona Shalom, I don't know why things have been designed this way, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, leave it as is. Stuck in traffic. Do I say I'm stuck in this traffic? And there's a reason, and go, go with it, and enjoy the moment, and make some phone calls, and listen to a shir. You say, I'm such a chacham, I'm going to weave my way, and take the better pattern, and now it's, we have ways, so she answers for us, in ways we trust. <coughs> when I was a kid, you may remember, I think ways is the biggest contribution to Shalom Bias in the longest time. The minute when I was a kid was, 
Here was the average family outing when I was a kid. I guess I'm grateful that certain people didn't show up today. But here was the average family outing when I was a kid. The big map, the, the driver, and the designated driver had the huge map out. And then you're going into Manhattan from Bergen County for Teaneck, and you're debating. You're taking the Lincoln Tunnel, the George Washington Bridge. Turn on 1010. Did you miss it on the 8s, on 880? Did you miss it? You missed it. I can't believe you took the West Side Highway. I told you to take the whatever. It always has more traffic on Sundays. And every family outing included a component of a big debate. Who knows traffic patterns better? Who said which way to go? Taking out the map when you're trying to get back to the George Washington Bridge as you weave in this way and everyone's going that way and you can get back on over there. And I'm telling you, so Waze is the biggest contribution to Shalom Bias. In Waze we trust. You put on Waze. Nobody's entitled to an opinion. She knows best. And we listen to Waze. She reroutes. You know, Waze, I think I once... I think, I think I once wrote an article about this. Waze is a model for Hashem, for Amun and Bitachon also. Because Waze reroutes you, there's no judgment, there's no criticism. You moron, you missed the turn, I told you not to go there. She just says, rerouting, so now we'll go another way, we'll get you back on, we'll get you back on the path to the destination. It's a big lesson for Shalom Bias. There's no judgment, there's no criticism, there's no, she's not condescending. She just tells you, okay, got to get you to the destination. Here's how we're going to get you back online. So, in every moment, when are you a Chacham and you say, it's my initiative, I got to make it happen. And when do you say, relax, Hashem's got a plan, go with the flow, ride the wave, Hashem will take you there. So the contribution of the Chobos HaLavavah says, Revolba is, Odom Metsuva Leishtadel. You gotta make an effort. You gotta be in it to win it. So Revolb is trying to define exactly the nature of the machlokus between Rabbeinu Bachia and the Ramban. And he says, For Rabbeinu Bachia, Hishtadlus is lechatchila. For Rabbeinu Bachia, it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to make an effort. So when you're sick and you go to the doctor, it's not that if you really had Amunah and Bitachon, if you were a righteous person, you just open your Tehillim. Who needs a doctor? You open a Tehillim. The Tehillim has no copay. And the Tehillim has no waiting room. And the Tehillim has no... You just open your Tehillim. If you really were righteous, you'd open your Tehillim for the Ramban. For the Chobos HaLavos, it's a mitzvah to go to the doctor. And it's a mitzvah to get a job. And it's a mitzvah to do a Shtablis. Whereas for the Ramban, there's no mitzvah in doing a Shtablis, just... Just like the lottery, though, you've got to be in it to win it because in the, in the teva, in, in the natural order, you can't win the lottery without owning a ticket. Is there a mitzvah to buy a ticket? There's no mitzvah to buy a ticket. It's just that if you want a chance of winning the lottery, you've got to be in it to win it. So for the Chovah Salvavos, for Rabbi Nebachia, there's a mitzvah to buy a ticket. Why? Because the Baruch threw Adam out of Gan Eden. He said, I'm now throwing you in a world where I'm giving you a tzivui. You have a command to shape and mold this world together with me. Someone asked me at the end of the Parsha class yesterday, because shockingly we ran out of time, that why were the Jewish people, we, yesterday we spent time on the Pesukim, they had to shech the lamb, and they collected the blood in the basin, and they took the hyssop, the branch, and they dipped it, and they smeared it on the, both doorposts and the lintel on top. They stayed home, don't go out, don't hit the streets, dangerous that night, stay inside. Pesach, Pasach, Hashem skips over those houses, you're good to go. And of course the question everybody asks is, Kishborchu is omnipotent, infinite, all-knowing, perfect. He doesn't know where the Jews live. Just look for the Honda Odyssey in the driveway. You'll know exactly where the Jews live. 
Why did he have to have the blood on the doorpost? There was nothing else that was defining. Look at everyone else has a half of a garbage can outside on garbage day. The Jewish homes have 17 garbage cans and all the boxes, the half a box from Costco and all the, you'll know which are the Jewish homes. There's nothing else that delineates the Jewish home for the non-Jewish home. You had to kill an animal and smear the blood on the doorpost. So what's the answer? What's the answer? The blood on the doorpost parallels another blood. If you're queasy, stop listening for a minute. But even yesterday, the Mephorshim on what we studied yesterday on this parsha, on Parsha's bow, say the blood of the doorpost parallels another blood. The blood of Dam Mila, the bris of a child. On the eighth day, we give a baby boy a bris. And the blood of both, Navi Yechezko says, With blood I live. By the way, I'll just tell you, as an aside, I, I love to tell this to our Torah, so you may have heard it before. But what does it mean, B'damai chayi? B'damai is the plural, with my bloods, I live. What does that mean, B'damai chayi? The, um, the Kloisenberger Rebbe lost an enormous amount of children in the Holocaust. And once some, one of his Hasidim had the courage to ask him, how did the Rebbe find the tenacity, the resolve, the resiliency to continue to rebuild a Hasidus and to rebuild a family and a magnificent Hasidus at that? And, and in Israel, in, in um, Netanya, and uh, the hospital, and it's incredible what he did. Where did you find the will, the resiliency to do it? So the Rebbe said, B'damai chayi, b'damai chayi. So the young man, the Chassid, thought he understood, B'damai chayi, b'damai chayi, that with Mesiris Nefesh, we live, B'damaych. With B'damaych, with blood, with Mesiris Nefesh, takes the blood. We say, right, yeah, it's got to give your blood to something, your blood and guts, and your blood... Blood, sweat, and tears. Give you blood, sweat, and tears to something. It means Mesiris Nefesh. With that effort. With the personal sacrifice and the self-sacrifice. So he thought that's what he meant. That's what we say at a bris. From the, from the Navi Yecheskel. So the Rebbe corrected him and says, no, that's not B'damayich. You know what I meant when I said B'damayich? B'damayich. B'damayich. With the Vayidom of Aaron. The Rebbe said, I'm not the first one to lose children. Aaron Akoin on what should have been the happiest day of his life, celebrating the inauguration of the, of the Mishkan, opening day at the Mishkan, and Aaron is center stage, centerpiece of the Mishkan, <coughs> should have been the happiest day of his life, and very abruptly, very suddenly, he loses two sons, defying any explanation, defying comprehension. So much so the Torah doesn't tell us why they died, and there's a million and one suggestions of why they died, and whenever you have a lot, a lot of suggestions about something, it means it's entirely and wholly unclear. So it was unclear to us, it's unclear to Aaron. His sons die very, very suddenly. And how does Aaron react? Vayidom Aaron. Now we don't know a silence. Was it a silence of acceptance? What is a silence of being stunned? Was it a silence of passiveness? Sometimes the silence can be um, a scream. Sometimes the silence can be a scream. Elie Wiesel said, we have a tradition of silence in the Jewish people, we just don't talk about it. So the silence can sometimes be a protest. We don't know the nature of his silence. We know he was silent. So the Rebbe, when he said, that was his Vayidom Aaron. He said, I tap into the same resiliency and strength Aaron had. That's what I found the strength to be able to go on. But classically, the more typical translation of B'damai Chayi, more chairs, you grab a chair from the Sephardic. No, 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 I'm going to go on for a while. B'damai Chayi. So the, the B'damai Chayi, the two Dams, are the Dam Bris and the Dam Mila. So why... Why, Hashem is Hashem like, you know, he likes graphic gore and guts and what's with the blood? What's with all the blood? The blood on the doorpost and the blood of the bris and what's with all the blood? What's with all the blood? So the explanation, what do they have in common? 
What are the bris milah and what happened to Mitzrayim have in common? What they both have in common is HaKadosh Baruch who says, I'm the Almighty, I created the world, I run the world, and I'm happy to redeem you. I love you, you're my child. I'm going to interfere and intervene in the world and in nature in order to save you, in order to redeem you. But here's the deal. You've got to do your part. I'm not going to bail you out entirely. What are you willing to do? What are you willing to put in? What are you willing to sacrifice? What courage and effort and initiative are you willing to take? So when it came to, in Egypt, Kosh Baruch says, I'll take you out, you slave nation of passive spectators to your own destiny. I'm willing to take you out. But here's the deal. You know, leave the door open. We'll get some air in here. Thank you. But here's the deal. I want you to take the lamb. Now is the lamb, what's the significance of the lamb? Why did he take the lamb? Why not a duck? Duck is delicious. Why not a, a cow? A nice piece of flesh is a great audience. Why not a great piece of flesh? Why, why the lamb? Because the lamb is the deity of the Egyptians. I want you to take the God of the Egyptians and tie it to a doorpost for several days and then I want you to slaughter it in front of your neighbors who've been worshipping it. And then I want you to take its blood and smear it on the doorpost just to put it in the face of your neighbors that you killed their God. And when you have the courage and when you have the resolve and when you're willing to show the bravery to do that, God says, I'll take you the rest of the way home. Then I'll take you out. But if you think that you're going to hide under your bed and you think you're going to sit back on your couch in your recliner and I'm going to do all the heavy lifting and you're going to be hiding in the comfort and safety of your home, if you're not going to take any initiative, you're not going to show any bravery, I'm not bailing you out. I'm not bailing you out. Hashem says, I'm here for you. I'll do the heavy lifting, like 10 plagues of lifting and splitting a sea of lifting. I'll do the big stuff. Just show a little effort. Show a little initiative. I need you to have skin in the game. When you have skin in the game, I'll take out, I'll take out the rest. Which brings us to bris, where we literally have skin in the game. So, <laughs> at least <laughs> someone in this room. So, skin in the game. Bris is, the, the, the idea of the bris, the mitzvah of bris. Why does the Kodesh Baruch say bris? It's a peculiar mitzvah, peculiar surgery. Kosh Baruch Hu says, and why men, not women, is not for now, but Kosh Baruch Hu says, says, I created you almost perfect, but I need you to participate. I need you to be involved, to be my partner in creation. I want you to help me in the completion, in the last act of, of creation. So B'damayich Chayi, with the dam of Chazal tells, B'damayich is dam Pesach and dam Mila. You have to do the two together. I once heard, why do we get up when we open the door for Elio and Navi? We open the door for Elio and Navi and we sing Elio and Navi at this thing called the Seder. I know some people, I just hear a story to get heart palpitations. So at the Seder, we get up and we open the door. Why? Elio and Navi can't come down the chimney. Elio and Navi can't walk through walls. He can go to every house in the world simultaneously. He can be at every bris at the same time. But, but we have to open the door. He has to come through an open door. He can't come down the chimney or through the crack in the window. So the answer is, if you're going to sing Eliyahu Navi and you're waiting for him to be the, the harbinger of, of redemption, you've got to get up off your chair in which you've been reclining and drinking four cups of wine. Get out of your chair, get off your seat, get off your purpose and go open the door. If you want to bring redemption, it's not just going to happen with someone bailing you out. You need skin in the game. So whether it was the Dam, Pesach and Mitzrayim, have the courage and bravery to slaughter the god of the Egyptians and then smear that blood of that slaughter on the doorpost and show them your defiance. Or whether it is Damila, Shem says, be my partner, that last act of creation. Or whether it is opening the door for Eliyahu Navi, the common theme of all these is initiative. So according to Rabbeinu Bachya, there is a mitzvah. Just like Damila and Dam Pesach and Eliyahu Navi, these are mitzvahs. Taking initiative is a mitzvah. 
By the way, I think it's very much a model for how we do chesed. At least for me, it serves as a model for how we do chesed. There are people in the community constantly and on a regular basis who hit hard times, and our heart should go out to them and, and beyond anything, and we step in. Someone can't make the rent. Someone can't make the cost of medicine. They need new mattresses. Their, shoes, their children need shoes. But I, as a policy, and maybe you view this as cruel, but I see it as trying to implement what we're learning, I almost never write the check from our discretionary fund. It's not my personal fund. I have the incredible gift of being the steward over a charity fund. I get to act like I'm a wealthy person with my own uh, <laughs> charitable fund. But um, every penny that people donate to the Chesed Fund, the discretionary fund, Tom Cheshabbos, goes to help people. There's no administrative fee. There's no overhead. There's nothing. Most charities have an overhead. There's zero overhead. So I almost, I almost never write the full amount that the person asked for. So I want to know what can you contribute? What are you willing to do? What skin is there in the game? Now that person has enormous skin already in the game. If they're already at the point of asking, it means they've hit a place where they have a lot of skin in the game. But the point is, HaKadosh Baruch created a model for us where we don't bail out. In a less extreme example than that chesed with people who come, with our children. Our children need something. Okay, I'll do 90%. I'll, I'll play the role of the Rebona Shalom, I'll bail you out, I'll do the heavy lifting, I'll do the 90%. What are you doing? What's your skin in the game? I'm not going to write your whole essay for you. I'm not going to do... I'm, I'll help you clean your room. You're, you know, you're overwhelmed. I'll help you do the... I'll help you. Kirsch Baruch says, I'll always be there. I'll always show up. I'll always help you. What are you doing? Where's your skin in the game? And why do we do that? Because we're cruel? We do that because our ego says we don't have to do everything? No, we do that because we love the person. Whether it's the community member or our children or Kirsch Baruch love for us, that which he wants us to take initiative is not out of cruelty or insensitivity. It's out of his kindness. It's out of his wanting the best for us and to realize the best of ourselves. And therefore, we have to, a mitzvah. So, this is the dichotomy between the Ramban and Rabbeinu Bachia, says Ravobe. For Rabbeinu Bachia, initiative is a mitzvah, not a concession. It's not a terrible thing that we wish we didn't have to do. Initiative is a mitzvah. Going to the doctor, or buying a lottery ticket, getting a job and going to work, making the effort, dam mila, dam pesach, getting up out of our chair and taking initiative is a mitzvah. Whereas for the Ramban, it's not a mitzvah, it's just a reality. It's just a reality. If you don't eat, you will starve to death. Is eating a mitzvah? For the chovas alvavos, the right yeah. foods, yeah. nourishing healthy so. foods, is a mitzvah, eating them, because that's initiative to live. Yeah. Whereas for the Ramban, it's not a mitzvah to eat, it's just part of the way the world was created, is you need to eat to live. It's not a mitzvah when we use the term mitzvah. <laughs> Even when you have an explicit promise from Hashem, it's not a simple thing to trust Hashem without taking any initiative. One of the hardest things in the world is to realize that, and this is really the emphasis of this whole piece we've been building up to, is even when we take the initiative to not fall on the other side. What do I mean by that? People generally fall into two extreme camps, and it's very hard to live in the middle, but living in the middle is exactly the charge that Revolve is giving us. What do I mean? There are some people who are pure Amunabitachim people, passive and complacent and apathetic to their own lives, spectators to their own lives, because they hide behind and cop out behind Amunabitachim. Shem will take care. I don't have to ever take responsibility. I don't have to ever try hard. I don't have to ever be accountable. Why? Everything's Hashem, Amunah Bitochan, Amunah Bitochan, Amunah Bitochan. And there, it's not a legitimate Amunah Bitochan, it's not authentic. The Amunah Bitochan is the cop-out. They're hiding behind the Amunah Bitochan. 
On the other hand, you have people who are extreme in their hishtadlis. Absolutely extreme in their hishtadlis. Even if they claim to have a munah bitachon, they are excessive in their hishtadlis. Excessive in the initiative. We've shared the example many times. If you work 19, 20 hours a day, it's a little bit excessive. Because if Hashem wants to make you a billionaire working a measly 12 hours a day, you'll be a billionaire at 12 hours a day. When you insist on working 18, 19, 20 hours a day at the expense of seeing family and learning and minion and health, then that's excessive hishtadlis. So that person, and what do they tell you? Say, well, I have to do my part and I have to take my initiative and I have to make my effort. So people generally fall into the two extreme camps. Either they hide behind the cop-out of Amun Bitachon as an excuse for mediocrity, for having no drive, having no ambition, for being apathetic and complacent and spectators to their own lives. Or on the other hand, you have the people who are excessive in their hishtadlis. And what Revob is calling on us to do is find that balance. And for every person, the balance is different. And for every circumstance, the balance is different. But to find that balance where we take the right amount of initiative, but now not run the risk within the initiative. Because what happens to the guy who works the 18, 19, 20 hours a day? What happens if he becomes a millionaire? Who does he think? He says, you know why I'm a millionaire? I work. You know what I sacrificed to make that millions? Do you know what I gave up? Do you know the amount of work I do? Do you know the blood, sweat, and tears I put in? You know why I'm a millionaire? Me. Me. So the person with initiative runs the risk of arrogance and ego and thinking it's them. Now, did they have any part in it? Yes. Of course they had a part in it. It takes hard work. They put in hard work that others didn't. Maybe they have some intellect, some, some vision that others didn't. Maybe they have some courage to make some moves that others were too afraid of. Kirsch Baruch doesn't want us to deny that when we're successful, we have a part in that success. It's a beautiful insight of the Drushas Haran. It says... Later, was the parsha? Kochi, it's my strength, and the, it's my power, my strength of my hand that that brought this success. So the drushes around says, we're not supposed to think that we are the arbiters of our own success. We have to realize, if in fact I'm successful, it's because of Hashem. Because guess what? It's people who are as smart as me. It's people who tried as hard as me. It's people who worked as long as me, who fell flat on their face. And if I succeeded when I did that, it's partly because I put in my work, but it's also only because Hashem enabled the success. Because if He would have said no and closed that door, it wouldn't have happened no matter how I tried, no matter how smart I am. On the other hand, it's people who Hashem has invited and opened the door, but they didn't walk in. So we're entitled to take pride in the work that we do. So the Drosh Zoran says, read the Psukim. Who hanosein l'chakoach lasas chayel? We're not supposed to say, I'm the one, it's my strength that did it. We're supposed to say, Who hanosein l'chakoach? Who sings this? Avram Fried? Who, that's your, Freda, that's your class, taking songs and explaining. Who hanosein l'chakoach lasus chayel? Hashem's the one who gives us koach lasus chayel. The Ran says, read the Pasuk very carefully. It doesn't say, Who hanosein l'chakoach? It doesn't say, He gives you success. What does it say? He gave you the skills and talents to have success. To say, I'm not talented, I'm not skilled, I don't work hard, I'm not smart. You're not humble, you're an idiot. The world looks at you and knows that you have a great IQ, or great talents, great skills, great blessings in your life. To deny them is not a form of humility. To deny them is a form of stupidity. It's false, it's counterfeit humility. What's true humility is to say, you know what, I've been very blessed. I've been very blessed that I have skills and talents. I have great blessings in my life, but you know what? I know that they're borrowed, but never owned. They're on loan, they're never part of my permanent collection. 
And they came and they could disappear in a moment. They could disappear in a flash and in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat. And therefore, the Ran says, It's not that you're denied. You have koach and you made the most with the koach Hashem gave you. But where'd that koach come from? Where'd that koach come from? So I've said this many times and I, and I always tell a few stories which I won't tell you now of those who Hashem took away the koach. They had the koach and He took it away. How many performers were there who made millions of dollars their concerts on the road and they woke up one, moment, one day with laryngitis. Their voice was gone, never to be recovered the way it was. Who on a sinlecha koach You have a gift and it disappears. How many athletes who never rediscovered the skill that was lost? Chuck Knobloch, who was a gold glove winner, an all-star baseball player, played for the Twins, the Yankees, second baseman, who lost the ability to throw the ball from second base to first base. Ten-year-olds could throw in Little League, and he, he just woke up one day, he couldn't. He retired from the game because he stopped being able to throw. I was a scholar in residence at the White Shul, and I, I gave this drusha, this drusha saran, and I ended with a quote. I said, I closed the drusha from the greatest closer in baseball history. I have a feeling I'm in the wrong room sharing this, but... <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Mariana Rivera, thank you. Baruch Hashem. A lot of bells on, impressive. Mariana Rivera, otherwise known as, anyone know his nickname? No. Okay, that far we can't go. Mo. Mariana Rivera, Mo. Mo is the greatest base, the greatest closer. He also happens to be an incredibly religious man. He retired from the game and he became a pastor. What he now does is try to inspire other people with faith and religion. So he had an incredible quote. He was interviewed and he said, he had the greatest, he had the greatest cut fastball. Again, whatever that means. He had the greatest cut fastball in, in, um, in baseball history. Every batter who, who faced him, somebody listening online to this will appreciate this, even if none of you do. <laughs> Batters who faced him knew exactly the pitch that was coming. When you're a batter, the hard part is the ball could be 99 miles an hour or it could be a 75-mile-an-hour curve ball, and the difference in between, you have no chance of hitting that ball. With Mariano Rivera, every batter knew exactly the pitch they were facing. They knew what was coming. They still couldn't hit it. That's how good a pitch it was. He threw a sort-off cut fastball, that when you swung at it, it broke bats. He broke bats every game he pitched in. It was incredible. And his quote when he retired was that God gave him that skill and he knew that it could disappear any moment. And when he looks back on his career, he just thanks God that he blessed him with the skill to throw that pitch. And so he's an, and, and the gazillions of dollars that he made. Now, Mariano Rivera, Mo, is he humble? What do you mean? But he talked about how he's the greatest closer in baseball. But he recognized, who on Humility is not saying, I don't have any powers or skills or talents in my life. Humility is saying, I do. And I spent the time to identify them and to work on them and to grow them and to harness them and to achieve the most with them. But all along and all the while, I always knew it could could disappear, that it was borrowed and never owned. It was on loan, never part of my permanent collection. And that's what Hashem wants from us. Not to deny the good talents that we have, but first of all, to realize the responsibility of having them and to always know that they come 100% from him. So that's the Ishtadlis. Ishtadlis is, so that's the danger of Ishtadlis. The danger of Ishtadlis is I practice my cut fastball six hours a day and I work out my arm and I make it to the major leagues and I win World Series and I make it to the All-Star team and I'm a Hall of Famer. There's one guy who did, he was just voted to the Hall of Fame and there's one guy who voted against Mo. People are saying he should lose his ballot because you can't vote against Mariana Rivera. How could you vote against him? None of you know what I'm talking about. Never mind. So you could do all of that. And then the danger is you say, I'm the greatest closer in baseball history. I'm the greatest speaker that ever lived. I'm the best doctor or surgeon or lawyer or accountant. I'm the best chef. I'm the best 
I'm the best at whatever it is that ever lived. Look at my success. But you have to always realize who I'm saying lechakawach. So Revolba is giving us this charge. Don't live in the extremes. Don't use Amuna and Bitachon as a cop-out to not try. Don't settle for mediocrity and don't be apathetic to your own life and don't be a spectator to your own destiny hiding behind that refrain, Hashem, Amuna, Bitachon. That's a cop-out. That's not Jewish. That's not Torah. On the other hand, don't be excessive in your Ishtadlis. Don't be spending so many hours and trying so hard that you think that it is entirely up to you. And that even if you're trying excessively and you meet success, you think that really you are the sole arbiter of that success. Where we are to live is somewhere in the middle. Where we are to live is with that perfect balance between making the effort and then realizing I've made my effort, now it's up to Hashem. I've made my effort and if my effort is successful, it could disappear every moment. Every time I speak, I don't mean to share like this, but I, every time I give a drush or a speak before a, a, a large audience or at a large venue, I have the same conversation with the Ribbon Shalom before I give it. Same conversation, because this v- insight of the Ran plays over in my head all the time. Forget, you know, my voice box could fail, you could get laryngitis, but whatever is speaking skills you have could disappear. You could fumble over your words, you could gain a stutter, you could forget what you wanted to say, you could lose, you could lose it. You could lose it as easily as it came. So you have to always ask Hashem for help with it and always thank Him afterwards when it went well and always remember it's borrowed but never owned. Whatever skill set it is, whatever gift that we have and finding and walking that balance right between. So that's the challenge is to remember Hatzlacha rak me Hashem. The success is only from Hashem. So on the one hand, we're supposed to believe that it's entirely up to Hashem but at the same time to realize that Hashem, it's entirely up to Hashem. And how is Hashem going to pull it off? By our doing our part. That is the perfect person who tries hard and makes an effort, but while they're trying hard and making an effort, has invited Hashem into the conversation, into the effort, into what you're doing. You walk into a surgical procedure, allow me to be the agent to help bring health to this person. You're walking into the courtroom, Hashem put the right words in my mouth in order to achieve justice. You're walking, you're preparing a drasha, Hashem help me find the right words to get your message across and inspire your children and your people. And it could be as simple as Hashem, you want me to have a beautiful Shabbos meal for my family? Help this potato kugel and chalun come out. Help this new recipe work out. Whatever it is, what seems like the lofty to the most mundane but if we inject the Ribbono Shalom, if we invite him into the experience and into the conversation, Kodesh help this journal go smoothly, help everything be on time, help everything work out. I'm doing my Ishtadlis in every arena. I've got to make the Kugel. I've got to prepare for the trial. I've got to do the surgery and be trained and focus and pay attention. I've got to put in the work to do the drusha. I've got to, whatever I'm doing in life, I have to do the work. It's on me. But I invite the Ribbono Shalom into the experience. He's going through it with me. He's part of the conversation. He's in the courtroom. He's in the operating room. He's in the kitchen. He's in the, in the drusher. You know what it means to be an amsugula? You know what it means to be a nation who's close to Hashem? The nation who's so close to Hashem, they never try and they live in complete abject poverty and they're sick and disheveled because they have such a munah and they never take initiative. Are they the nation that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is proud of? 
No, that's not the one closest to him. And the one that is so excessive in trying to kill it in the world of Gashmias, and they never have time for faith because they think it's entirely up to them, and if they don't work 20 hours a day, and they don't put in all that time, and they don't overextend themselves, then they won't have success. Are they the Amkrovo? No. The Amkrovo, if you want to be counted among the community of those who are closest and most beloved to Hashem, it's those who both trust in Him and take effort at the same time. Aye, that's Basar Bechalov. Aye, that's Treif. How do you mix the two together? How do you have initiative and faith at the same time? Aren't those a contradiction to Stira Mineu Bey? How do you reconcile the two? And the answer, that's exactly what Revolb has been driving at here. And we just have one last little piece left that we'll do next week. But what Revolb is driving at is, that's, it seems like it's a contradiction, but it's not a contradiction. If a person who has faith and realizes that the fulfillment or expression of the faith is through effort, if you bring Hashem into the effort, they're not a contradiction. You're doing your part, but while you do your part, you're realizing that whether your part is successful is entirely and exclusively only up to Hashem. Find that balance. Not too much faith and not too much initiative. A reasonable, correct amount of initiative and an initiative that is always informed and inspired by a sense of faith. That for this initiative to be successful, in whatever realm, I'm taking this initiative. But for this initiative to be successful, I rely entirely and exclusively. It needs the approval of Hashem. It needs him to sign off. I'm the one doing the work. But if he doesn't sign off, it doesn't go through. So my tefillah and my effort is to get a Kodesh Baruch Hu to sign off. And I do the work, which is going to motivate, so to say, the Rebbe Shalom. He wants to see us do the work. If we're sitting back in the recliner and we say, Hashem, just put the money in my account, just make it happen. It doesn't happen. He needs to see us get up off the couch. Open the door for Eliyahu Navi. When we get up and we make our effort, then the Kosh Baruch enables us to be able to walk through. Have a great day.